Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Will Summer, and welcome to The Daily Beast Fever Dreams. I'm a politics reporter at The Daily Beast. My book on QAnon, Trust the Plan, The Rise of QAnon, and the Conspiracy that Unhinged America, will be available in February and is available for pre-order now. And I'm Kelly Weil. I am also a reporter at The Daily Beast, and I'm the author of the book Off the Edge, Flat Earthers, Conspiracy Culture, and Why People Will Believe Anything. On this podcast, we're going to take you on plunges into the sometimes hilarious, sometimes scary fanatics infecting the way that millions of Americans view the world and how they vote. Even in the aftermath of the Trump administration, the energy of these conspiracy theorists, grifters, and influencers is still pushing our mainstream political landscape closer and closer to a breaking point. Welcome back to Fever Dreams. I'm Will Summer, joined as always by Kelly Weil. Kelly, how are you doing? I am great, Will. Um, I had a cold this weekend, and this left me with a beautiful baritone voice of an NPR host. So, you know, woke up ready this morning. I love it. It, it said before we started recording, you got a little vocal fry, perhaps. And you, you, I think that's very on trend. Before we dive in, I want to give a plug for our mailbag episode. We're going to do an uh, episode answering folks' questions later in December. But you can send your questions in now. Just email feverdreams at thedailybeast.com. We'll get them and we'll go through your questions. You know, sometimes I think people have these nagging questions about what did this strange person in my life reference when they <laughs> they alluded to uh, to snake venom or something or what's this all about and so so we will be getting into those questions kelly are you excited to see the questions i'm so excited you know our listeners are i really do live for your tweets people will send us really just obscure things that you have to go down the rabbit hole to find exactly where this is coming from that's something i really enjoy so i can't wait to do this in slightly longer form so please hit us up i think that'll be a lot of fun and so yeah get those questions in before christmas okay so look i got bad news there's been a lot of financial issues going on we already lost a ton of money on the ftx collapse all, all our all our <laughs> dogecoin up in smoke but now there's another uh, financial institution a pillar of our economy going down i'm speaking of course of glorify the anti-woke bank that we have discussed on the pod in the past if an anti-woke bank can't make it, I mean, I, I hate having to go to Chase. They make me dye my hair before I go in. They make me, you know, uh, do a do a funny little song. So, I mean, this is a real blow to the anti-woke economy. Yeah, so, so Glorify is the bank. We talked about, I think, a month or two ago, the Wall Street Journal had a big expose on them. This was an operation where it was supposed to be, you know, yeah, as you said, I mean, it, it, it's the anti-woke bank. They don't get into any SJW type things. And honestly, when you say if an anti-woke bank can't make it, who can? You're kind of right, because this should have been just like shooting fish in a barrel. This could have been the easiest money they ever made. But instead, this company was famously just run horrifically. The CEO 
was drinking all the time on the job, and it was all running out of his mansion. And so, wait, is this the second financial collapse of the month where everybody lived together in the same mansion? Because that is incredible. <laughs> this is it's it's becoming a business model now. We're talking about FTX. The same thing happened there. We gotta just have a normal office. <laughs> like this is simple stuff. And so this was the guy. You know, he's drinking the office, and they the Wall Street Journal asked him for comment. And he said, "Look." I, I never drink until 5 p.m. And it's like, well, all right, you're not really addressing the issue. <laughs> I think most memorably for me, this is also the company where an executive started having sex on a Zoom call. And he kind of, he went off. I think he quit the Zoom and then started getting down to business and people were like, oh, hey. <laughs> but now he will have all the privacy he wants because glorify is no more. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I mean, where else could I have gone for a bank that would give me a discount on a home loan for being a gun owner? I think it's a real tragedy that this kind of successful venture is folding. So, so you know, just to explain what exactly is happening to Dear Glorify, Wall Street Journal reports it's laid off most of its employees, said that the that company's going to be no more. But the thing that blew my mind is that this app only launched in September. I mean, this was like a big, big run up. There was all this money. They had these big kind of conservative financial figures behind it. And then this thing made it two months. Wow. Yeah, because that's the thing, because we started hearing about this, I think, in spring, like Candace Owens had a, you know, a big plug for it. Candace Owens, by the way, is getting a real reputation as a sort of kiss of death for these conservative media companies. You know, she was also big on the Freedom Phone. You know, that didn't go anywhere. So I, honestly, I should be playing, paying more attention to like her referral codes. <laughs> I think there there are more stories uh, that await. All right, we got to short the uh, short the Candace Owens stock options. Let's. I'm I'm ready. <laughs> yes, this is my this is my ETF fund that just shorts any company she endorses. <laughs> You know, the CEO with the fabulous name Toby Neugebauer, he's going to have to go find a new company to launch out of his Dallas uh, mansion. RIP Glorify. Yeah, well, it's I do hear there's plenty of openings for people who want to, you know, live and work in the same house. And, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, maybe he'll pick up some of the people from FTX in Alabama. <laughs> I, I hear there have been layoffs there, too. <laughs> well, you know, speaking of tech, tech corner, Kelly, Donald Trump is maybe returning to Twitter. But what does this mean? for Trump's own startup, Truth Social. Okay, so as folks remember, Donald Trump, he has been indefinitely suspended from Twitter since uh, January 2021. That's when Twitter was like, you know, there is a very real possibility that this current president is using our platform to uh, incite violent insurrection. So maybe we should, you know, put the kibosh on his account for a while. Trump got extremely mad, madder than anyone has ever been, even launched a company to replace Twitter, his one true love. That company is Truth Social. It's a Twitter clone. It's a complete ripoff. But, you know, it's it's everyone on there has, you know, QAnon on their username. But the question is now, right, if Trump can go back on Twitter, which he's been able to do since Saturday, Elon Musk reinstated him. What's the point of Truth Social at all? So I spent some time on Truth Social yesterday. I was digging through the comments. People are some people are saying, oh, it's good that Trump can go on Twitter. He needs to spread his message far and wide. Other people are saying, now, hang on. I'm on Truth Social because it's the Trump exclusive. Why am I here with, you right. know, this honestly slightly diminished pool of weirdos instead of being on Twitter with the rest of the people and the president? Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. It's sort of a mirror of the existential crisis a lot of journalists with large follower counts have been dealing with on Twitter, where suddenly these guys on Truth Social are like, wait, I'm a Truth Social power user. 
uh, why have I invested all my all my time into this site that is is just going to implode? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, it is funny because I don't spend a ton of time on Truth Social. You know, I'm not staying up doom scrolling on there. But you click on a post that's doing fairly well and you're like, oh, cool. User QAnon MAGA Ultra 85 has literally like 55,000 followers. And it's like, who are all you people? So I do think that when they try and migrate back to Twitter, which has been slightly better about moderation in terms of like QAnon conspiracy theories, they can't get that clout. And so if Trump pulls the rug from them, well, what's all this been for? Well, and, and this is another interesting thing. I mean, we're going to get into it in a second in terms of like some of the right wing figures that are returning to Twitter. But it's still unclear whether Twitter is really going to go crazy and just be like, yeah, QAnon can come back. The Proud Boys can come back. And so if you're these guys, you know, True Social was was the place that Trump, you know, he kind of built you a clubhouse. And now he's saying, oh, yeah, well, I'm going back to the country club. You know, y'all, y'all <laughs> stay here. Y'all, uh, d- no, 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 don't come back. Just stay here. You know, and so, so yeah, I mean, I, I think potentially these people are going to be kind of, uh, you know, left hanging. It is sort of hard to imagine that, I mean, it, it sort of seems like the Elon Musk strategy for letting people back on has been very like people with big fan bases with 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 some amount of, I guess, like quasi respectability, kind of more like intellectual dark web figures than necessarily like QQ 1717. It should be interesting, but I definitely think, I mean, Truth Social is going to be in a rough spot here. But Kelly, th- there's actually like a legal condition here, right, that requires Trump to stay on the site. So Trump's truth social contract is valid through June, so they might update it. It actually has this incredible clause that says he can't post the same thing on Truth Social and another social media site at the same time, unless it's campaign related. Otherwise, he must wait until, quote, the expiration of the DJT slash TMTG social media six hour exclusive. So what that means uh, in, you know, normal terms is that he can post something on Truth Social. And if he wants to post verbatim on Twitter, he's got to wait six hours. So this is, um, this is, you know, Truth Social's early investors saying, okay, we want some kind of tie here, some kind of thing that keep Trump posting on our website before he goes back and strays, you know, his his first love, Twitter or Facebook, whatever will let him on. And so it, it isn't going to be interesting to see whether that legal tie translates at all to Trump's real behavior on Twitter, because he hasn't come back yet. He indicated this weekend that he doesn't really see a, a need to go back to Twitter. But I also think the man is a born poster. I don't know that he can actually keep himself away. He is what Elon Musk wants to be. He's the greatest to ever do it. Graydon Carter's Hollywood party is no longer <laughs> hot. Yeah, I mean, he, he he really is like like it is just Trump and Twitter are just meant to be together. And, and I don't think anyone can stand in their way. This loophole where it's like Trump has to post on Truth Social unless it's campaign related. Oh, right. <laughs> I mean, that's going to be driving the truck through that loophole. You know, I think that re- that should be an interesting one to watch. I'm also curious how his vibe is going to change. Like he, he obviously has this kind of like psychodrama going on with Elon Musk where it's like, you know, who's going to be the, the big daddy and who's the little fish <laughs> kind of back and forth. So, you know, I think that'll have to be resolved somehow. But I guess my question is, he will return to Twitter at some point. What will the Twitter persona be? Like, so so he's kind of, this is sort of like, you know, you have a friend who goes on study abroad and returns with an accent, right? <laughs> so in this case, like, he's been really off in the wilderness. He's been hanging out with QAnon. He's been hanging out with True the Vote. All these, like, the mules, right? And so now he's going to come back. And is he going to keep, for example, 
reposting images of him just saying like it's time for Q Gitmo 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 <laughs> like you know maybe we'll we'll have to see absolutely I was looking at truth social people who don't want him on Twitter but there's also a huge contingency of truth social people who want him on Twitter purely to post the term my fellow Americans the storm is upon us because Q people think that that is what he's going to tweet to kick off, you know, the mass arrests, sending everyone to Gitmo. And what's funny is that he actually recently shared a Truth Social post. It was like a Photoshop with those words on top of a picture of him. But it didn't kickstart the Gitmo. The storm didn't happen. Right. He's the storm try didn't it happen. <laughs> it has to be on Twitter as Q foretold. I think that's it. And I think that's what people are coming to realize. That, that reminds me just briefly of like all the... The excitement they had over the launch of the there was going to be a, a nationwide text emergency broadcast system and it was like oh man they're going to text the storm <laughs> is upon us john podesta is in custody and then <laughs> and then i then it just texted it was like buzz buzz test of the system thank you <laughs> and i'm like oh never mind um you know as long as we're talking about the the new face of twitter one thing like obviously elon's you know very obnoxious decision to this whole like uh you know he tweets vox populi vox day uh... which by the way i looked that up and it's just like kind like a random thing from 300 years ago it's not even like really a famous phrase so he brings trump back and but but one thing i i think is getting a little less attention are the other characters who are filtering in so james o'keefe project veritas they're back on andrew tate is back on obviously jordan uh, peterson charming. yeah yes i know really it's like the the boys are back in town <laughs> some of these guys it's like a little you know where they suspended some of these guys is like you know you tweet one thing and you get locked out of your account until you delete it then they kind of make a big show of not deleting it which that was the babylon b right they didn't get yes. properly suspended they just refused to delete a tweet so they made themselves martyrs nightmare website yes I, yeah there, there was a period a few months ago where it was like really like it was it, i think it was around when jordan peterson got suspended where it was like a big it was almost to your advantage to get to get locked out in that way because so many other people were getting locked out you know folks remember sargon of akkad wow Wow, haven't heard that name in years. Yeah, British guy had a disastrous run for parliament. I gotta say, some of the guys coming back, it's like, mm, I don't know if this guy's that big a deal. I mean, Conceptual <laughs> James is back. Nick Ricada. Do you know who that is, Kelly? I don't even know who that is. Okay, yeah. So, like, Nick Ricada, like, Benny Johnson was like, Nick Ricada's back, baby. <laughs> Nick Ricada's kind of like a Gamergate-affiliated lawyer who does, like, these YouTube videos where he's like, I'm a lawyer. Let me tell you how, like ex-conservative aggrieved person has such a an amazing defamation case he was involved in this like kind of anime me too backlash you know that he helped fundraise this lawsuit he's a colorful character i guess i would say or maybe not really he's kind of boring i don't know whatever <laughs> so anyways so he's back <laughs> But we're getting, the, we're getting the throwbacks, right? We're getting kind of the vintage bigots. Well, yeah, and, and, and this is what I want to hit on because between, like, some of these characters who are coming back, like, really kind of, like, throwback, kind of Gamergate-affiliated guys, then, meanwhile, Kanye is doing a lot to to bring these figures back to prominence. He's hanging out with Milo Yiannopoulos now. He's saying, oh, Milo's going to be my 2024 campaign manager. That it really feels like a lot of the kind of the classic fame balls of 2014 to, let's say, 2017 are coming back. Yeah, absolutely. This has been something that's been kind of interesting to me. I've been mulling this is, you know, in sort of the first wave of the alt-right. And I think a lot about Unite the Right, Charlottesville, these people coming out uh, being really just openly, flagrantly Nazis. And it didn't work for them, partly because they murdered someone and partly because it just, it didn't meet the vibe. So a lot of those people fell from grace. But 
I think now they're finding a climate where they can sort of sneak back in. And this Twitter reinstatement is part of it, I think. Some of them are just rebranding, finding more welcoming atmospheres in mainstream conservatism. And I I definitely think this is part of that trend. I think that's right. There is kind of this sense of like, I think there's almost like a jubilee year. And there's this sense on the right that like cancel culture is out of control. So now we have to like, kind of, you know, sort of in the same way, kind of, kind of in a way that like all these kind of the, the treatment of female celebrities in the 90s got reconsidered, right? Where it was like, right. um, you know, oh, Britney Spears, we should have been nicer to her. That now it's like, well, maybe like this guy shouldn't have been, you know, we, we shouldn't have kicked this guy off of Twitter. Maybe we got to like, we can rehabilitate this, like Milo or whatever, like whatever. Who cares what he said about pedophiles, that kind of stuff. So I think there's kind of this, they're back. And now everyone gets one more chance to get banned, I think. But, you know, I got to say, as long as we're talking about Trump, Kelly, can I just throw out something that is completely unrelated, but but is, is kind of gnawing on my mind? Please. Okay. So Madison Cawthorn, folks remember, he's a he he he's got some thoughts about Hitler. <laughs> and he's a member of Congress and he lost his primary earlier this year. And so he's basically like vanished. Like he closed up his constituent service office. He really was, I mean, real like, you know, screw this, I'm out of here. But and so he's been voting a ton by proxy um, in Congress. He kind of popped up again at Trump's Mar-a-Lago announcement and was, I believe, one of the only members of Congress there. And then he recorded this video that, that was really striking to people where he was just like, I will follow this man to, to, to the ends of the earth or I will die for this man. Unless unless some stuff comes out about him, of course, which is like an odd caveat. But so here's what I think about Madison Cawthorn. If, if I'm if I'm Corey Lewandowski or whatever, if I'm running the Trump campaign, I'm saying Look, Madison has really nothing to do after this. Like, everyone in the Republican Party has disowned him. But potentially, I think we can reshape Madison as, like, a Trump lieutenant who will, and, and this is, if we think about the the establishment Republicans are going to coalesce around Ron DeSantis. And let's say someone like Kevin McCarthy maybe is going to maybe kind of in a shadowy way help, help Ron DeSantis. I think Madison is a great guy. You bring him out at your rallies and have him talk about the orgies and how like <laughs> depraved the Washington Republican establishment is. I think this could work. Absolutely. You know, that is the only career pivot I think he has left. And he's got, you know, decades and decades ahead of him. He's like, 27 years old or something that makes sense if someone has tanked their career you know talking about the cocaine and uh orgies going on behind congress walls well you know spill madison yeah like, like i think like I'm, I'm, I'm acting like i came up with this idea but i think this is like literally what's going to happen and i think it's like obvious but but i think it's going to be really interesting maybe maybe they won't quite say the orgies but i think he's going to talk about like the decadence and the depravity so madison <laughs> call me i'm linkedin headhunter recruiting you <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, midterms, like weeks in the rear view now, but in Arizona, it's still kind of going on. Can you tell me about the efforts to rerun the Arizona election? This is kind of a follow up on what we were talking about, where all of the election deniers more or less lost, uh, at least the ones in in battleground uh, races, they lost uh, on election day, including Carrie Lake running for governor of Arizona. But Carrie Lake is still hanging on there and, and, you know, oh, this election was so shady, whatever. And now just to sort of lay the groundwork, the accusation here is that essentially, if I understand this right, the ballots were some of the ballots were printed too lightly. And so they sort of weren't being read in the machines. And so people this was like a couple hours of an issue. But if you if you face this issue, you were then allowed to vote. 
to vote in this kind of special box where where the ballots would then be would, would kind of be read in a separate way later. And so so this is sort of the root of this accusation that that the election was has sort of been stolen from Kerry Lake. So they're hanging in there. And you know we talked about this previously on the podcast, but I think the reason that Kerry Lake, unlike the other candidates who lost, and you know we might have expected to gripe about it, the reason she's hanging in there is because she's too valuable of a politician for the GOP and particularly for kind of the MAGA movement. And so they can't have her marked as a loser, especially because given that she was only a local newscaster previously, she can't be a vice president, basically, if they if they can't say at least that she was robbed uh, from this. So they're really kind of like laying down the the, the battle lines. Um, the attorney general, who's a Republican, is saying, oh, I want answers to what went wrong with this, this printer paper. This is, I think, going to be kind of the one big voter fraud fight of the midterm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've seen on Telegram voter fraud conspiracy theorists from other states saying, I'm packing up, I'm going to Arizona right now. And this is something they're doing. They're- yes, that sounds so good. I mean, when, when, whenever you get like a locus of this kind of stuff, I mean, that's when like stuff really starts getting crazy. This is from a actually prominent right wing podcaster who's like, you know, called for hangings and stuff like that. He says he's going to Arizona. Join me there. Thanksgiving does not matter of what we are giving thanks for is the lack of courage of our generation to protect our children. Right. So typos intact there. But basically they're saying why why are you doing thanksgiving with your family your real family is uh standing around the phoenix voting center and uh <laughs> waving some signs at passing cars the antics are are, are starting to come and, and you know carrie lake is still hanging in there in terms of you know she's not conceding and she put out this video recently that i thought had like really strong 2020 vibes and so she says, you know, whistleblowers are coming forward. We, we we love the voter fraud whistleblowers. I mean, this is me speaking here. Like, you know, we, we think of the classic characters that Rudy Giuliani trotted out. Um, you know, she's, it is clear that this election was a debacle that destroyed any trust in our elections. Now, like when you think about this, really no one was not able to vote. Um, they were able to vote. It was just that the vote went into this kind of box and was counted later. So... If anything, there's kind of an irony here, which is that Republicans appear to have sort of sabotaged themselves, number one, by convincing their voters that you shouldn't vote mail-in, in part because basically they believe that if you vote mail-in, the deep state will have enough time to adjust their algorithms to account for the surge in votes. So you should like only vote on the day of so that then suddenly like the deep state like, well, the algorithm's broken. <laughs> and then in more practical purposes, I, I think just generally like convincing people that like, you know, when they're saying, OK, well, put your ballot in the box, we'll count it later. That suddenly that like, oh, this is malfeasance. So instantly, like I will be my vote won't, won't count if I vote in the box. You know, I think that's what's going on here. There's like other weird hijinks going. And, and you know, I, I shouldn't say hijinks. I mean, some of this stuff is serious. The chairman of the board of supervisors had to go into hiding with his family for a day because of threats. And then there's this kind of weird thing where Carrie Lake's campaign put out this recording of I, I think it's a call. I don't think it was an in-person thing. They were meeting with a someone working for the board of supervisors and weirdly the campaigns sketched it as like a volunteer which i think makes it sound more humble but in fact they were like lawyers for the rnc in her campaign and interestingly the law- the the guy representing the board of supervisors is the son of watergate burglar mastermind g gordon liddy <laughs> but this time i gotta say the liddy family's on the right side because he's saying uh, in this audio he's kind of swearing at them and he's like look i don't want to effing work with you this kind of stuff in his account right before that they had sort of the rnc lawyer had sort of intoned ominously that like, look, I just want to tell them you're cooperating. There's some crazy people out there. We can't control them. <laughs> you know, which is like pretty crazy. That's mob stuff. Yeah. No, seriously. Yeah. It would, would be a shame if we did a little uh, stochastic terrorism on you. So they put out this audio and, you know, to make it sound like Mary 
scope is just being like totally unreasonable. So all of this culminates in, so, okay, what are we going to do about this? Well, we, we don't really want to count the ballots because, you know, then Katie Hobbs is going to win. Carrie Lake is going to lose. <laughs> so the what they want is to increasingly, I don't think the Carrie Lake campaign has endorsed this yet, but they want to re- redo the election. You know, we're seeing this, this call uh, increasingly in the right-wing media that like, you know, we got a little of this in 2020 where it's like, well, you know what? We've fabricated enough claims of voter fraud. Why don't we, do, why don't we just do a do-over? Come on. And so like I, there was this Gateway Pundit article I was reading today that says a new Arizona election must be scheduled before the end of the year, one of which only paper ballots and verified voters voting in person are allowed. So like we have to do the election, but it has to be the way that most benefits my side. Right. Yeah. Let's just do it again. We'll do like best two out of three. I love it because they're setting up these situations that lead to people waiting in long lines. Like, frankly, I'm sorry, like people have to do in, I don't know, predominantly black neighborhoods in Atlanta, but they see this, which is largely an issue of their own making as evidence of huge voter fraud, voter suppression. And my other takeaway from this is that they're being a lot cagier about the terms they use. Trump was coming outright in 2020 and saying this is fraud. He was putting forward people who are making absurd claims about Dominion voting machines. These folks, they won't even be as forthright. They're just saying it has destroyed any trust in our elections. Well, how has it destroyed that, Carrie? Because it sounds like the lack of trust is coming out of your campaign. They're not really furthering uh, discrete claims. It's just, you know, it's it's a mood. It's a it's a ambient mistrust. You're exactly right. Like, you know, we're not getting the hammer and scorecard computer stole the election kind of stuff like that. It's just, you you know, we're not getting a a, like kind of a Mike Lindell passion play. We're getting like something is bound to go wrong in this election. Something did. And now they're like the printer paper wasn't right. We got to do it again. So, you know, I mean, We'll be keeping an eye on this, but but I think this offers an interesting path forward. If you're a candidate who's like, I want the GOP be, to be behind me when I lose my election. And the answer is like, you just have to be too valuable for them to admit that you lost. All these other guys, J.R. Majewski, all these Secretary of State candidates, it's like, eh, the, you know, this guy, we kind of take or leave him. These, these folks were not fonts of charisma. Carrie Lake, on the, me- the meanwhile, you know, she's got a billion filters in her in the videos she does she's camera ready she owns reporters she has all these viral videos where she's like look you scumbags you know <laughs> you're gonna be going to the carrie lake school of journalism so they want to keep her out there and you just can't have a loser tag and but you know on the other hand though it is interesting because I think if they keep moving forward with Carrie Lake, they're going to get even more mired in the morass of stolen election stuff. And and that is just like if they're like, oh, this Donald Trump guy, we got to move on from 2020. You know, you're then going to be saying, oh, we got to move on from 2022. So really, like, there's just a lot of like kind of treading old ground that, you know, I, it, I don't know how that's going to work out in the end. Right. Absolutely. I mean, Trump, for all his flaws, did win the 2016 election. He did he win was election. president. Yeah. Yeah. She can't even win a governorship. I mean, I don't see it. Against the candidate, Katie Hobbs, by the way, who is basically non-existent. Right. They need to pick winners right now. And I mean, if she can't win Arizona, good luck. So Kelly, who do we have on the podcast this week? This week, we're really lucky to have Heidi Beadle. She's a Colorado Springs-based reporter for the Colorado Times and Recorder, where she covers, among many things, the state's far right. She's also the host of the Western Fringe podcast, which explores the weird, obscure, and occult history of Colorado. She's going to talk us through the Colorado Springs shooting, which she's been covering on the ground. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. 
And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Fever dreams like all Daily Beast journalism exist because of the generous support of our subscribers, the people who pay for access to Daily Beast reporting and who are, quite frankly, our favorite people on the face of the planet. Want to get in on all the action? Join now and get unlimited access to Beast reporting, exclusive ad-free newsletters, and our undying appreciation. Head to feverdreams.thedailybeast.com to sign up. All right. We are joined by Heidi Beadle. She is a reporter for the Colorado Times Recorder and also host of the Western Fringe podcast. Heidi, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. So, Heidi, we're talking about the shooting this weekend at Club Q in Colorado Springs. And one thing I keep hearing is the importance of that one bar for the LGBT scene in Colorado Springs. And I was hoping you could tell me what you've learned through your reporting about what exactly that place meant for queer people in Colorado Springs. Sure. It's a central kind of community hub. It's one of the the few LGBT bars that we have here in Colorado Springs. It's been around for 21 years. It's kind of the go-to spot. And they do regular drag performances and it's, you know, seen as a safe haven by many folks within the LGBT community here in Colorado Springs. This shooting, this this act of violence has just it's been devastating to everyone. How have local politicians responded to the shooting? I know you've flagged an incident on Twitter where um, one local representative might have uh, made a joke about it on Facebook. The official response from a lot of politicians is, you know, the standard thoughts and prayers. You know, Colorado Springs is particularly conservative. From city council to our El Paso County commissioners, they're all pretty much Republicans or conservative leaning. Leading up to this event, there has just been an uptick in kind of anti-LGBT rhetoric and speaking events from guys like Sean Fucht and uh, Eric Metaxas and, you know, where, um, you know, local leaders and stuff appeared. And so El Paso County Commissioner Stan Vanderwerf, who was at the May Hold the Line event with Sean Fucht and Eric Metaxas, where they were talking about groomers and how um, you know, the, the transgender lobby wants to mutilate children and those sorts of things. He was at that event. And then after the shooting, he uh, he went ahead and marked himself safe from the shooting at Club Q. There is some ambiguity. So, you know, you could say that, you know, he was genuinely trying to like mark himself safe. But, you know, the people that were like commenting under his Facebook activity were, or, you know, calling Club Q like a scum hole or, you know, making disparaging comments. And, you know, Vanderwerf, again, is part of that conservative government group here in Colorado Springs, and he appears at these extreme kind of evangelical events. The response in terms of thoughts and prayers is so, some people would say insulting when you consider the rhetoric and the activities that a lot of these local politicians have been engaging in for the last two to five years. So talk to me about that rhetoric. I mean, I know nationally we, we've seen this uptick in these anti-LGBT, you know, remarks, this idea that any any queer person is a, is a groomer or something like that. I mean, what's been going on in Colorado? We've seen those same kind of comments at literally every level of government from 
school boards, to city councils, to, you know, the state legislature, to the, the gubernatorial race here in Colorado during the midterm elections. So, you know, it's it's one of those things that's bubbled up through the school boards, you know, after the CRT kind of panic and the, the mask protests, the next thing was kind of LGBT content. Um, and here in Colorado Springs, we've seen that kind of controversy, certainly in District 11, one of their school board members, Jason Jorgensen, uh, received media attention for posting a transphobic meme in District 49. Colorado Springs has like five different school districts. We don't have like the unified school district that Denver does. But in District 49, you know, their their school board is, again, majority conservative. And recently, like school board members have been advocating for a policy to amend the faculty dress code to stop teachers from being able to wear rainbow clothing. One of the school board members, Jamie Lynn Devola, you know, regularly reads excerpts from David Barton, the wall builders guy who thinks like America was a Christian nation founded on Christian principles. She reads from his kind of commentary and she's made like transphobic comments during school board meetings. And they've been, you know, cited by the the Freedom From Religion Foundation. They've sent like legal letters. In Academy School District 20, they're waging a similar battle and parents are organizing around books that have like LGBT content. At the city council level here in Colorado Springs, Dave Donaldson, one of our city councilors, he appeared at that May hold the line event next to Stan Vanderwerf as well. And while he was speaking to the evangelical crowd there, you know, he bragged about how he um, prevented a transgender policy that would have required buildings in Colorado Springs to have gender neutral bathrooms. And he also um, bragged about his involvement in dissolving our Human Rights Commission, um, which kind of looks at those sorts of issues here in the city. And then he was also, you know, touting how he was mean to our outgoing library director after um, he resigned because District 20 school board member Aaron Salt was added to the library board as well as another conservative voice who is kind of targeting books and things like that with LGBT content and that sort of thing. At the state legislative level, you know, a couple months ago, there was a big protest over a drag event in Highlands Ranch, which is in Douglas County, which is very conservative and home to a lot of like QAnon stuff. It's the home county of uh, Joe Oltman, who does the Conservative Daily podcast and is involved in the Coomer defamation case and and all of that stuff. And this um, Highlands Ranch drag protest was taking place at a a community center and a bunch of residents were upset that their community center was being used for this drag protest. And Colorado Springs Representative Dave Williams weighed in and kind of commented on how they're grooming children and recruiting them to be trans or that sort of thing. And Douglas County Representative Mark Baisley also was very vocal about how these kind of protests are not something that should be welcome in the community. And with the gubernatorial race, during the primary, one of the candidates, Greg Lopez, uh, made a comment about how there should be a real first lady in the governor's mansion. And of course, currently, Governor Jared Polis is the first gay governor of Colorado and his husband, Marlon Reese, is the, the first gentleman. So it was kind of a homophobic slight there. And Heidi Ganahl, who ended up getting the nomination for candidate, there was a big forum during the primary where they all kind of expressed their views on like trans people. And, and it was, you know, there's only two genders and biological males and all of that rhetoric. And Heidi Ganahl, at the end of her campaign, came under scrutiny for spreading the 
story about furries and and kids identifying as cats and using litter boxes in schools. And, you know, that is also kind of a thinly veiled sort of jab at the LGBT community. So I mentioned a lot, but it's just a pervasive kind of atmosphere within conservatives here in Colorado. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate it because it's I think it's something to hear it all spelled out like that. You know, there's this deluge of these comments and it's easy to let one run into it the next. And so to hear it listed out like that is it's just pretty stunning. So the alleged shooter, Anderson Aldridge, there's not a full case against him yet. They're looking at hate crime charges, but he had a previous run in with the law. Can you explain sort of his past history with police before the shooting? One of the issues that we're having right now in Colorado. So the legislature is part of their criminal justice reform. They did pass a law about the sealing of court records. So, you know, if someone is like arrested for something but not charged or the charges dropped or dismissed, those records then are kind of automatically sealed and, you know, the district attorney cannot like even acknowledge it. Um, so yesterday during the uh, press conference from the Colorado Springs Police Department and District Attorney Michael Allen, they they kind of addressed this and they, they said they can't really, you know, acknowledge or confirm or deny that he was like involved in this previous incident. But an Anderson Lee Aldrich with similar, like he's 22, they've released that information about the Club Q shooting. Um, then he has a similar birth date for this previous incident. But in the summer of last year, he made bomb threat and claimed that he had all these guns and that he was going to kill his mother. And the El Paso County Sheriff's Office responded and they evacuated an entire neighborhood. You know, he was initially arrested on, I want to say, two charges of felony menacing and three charges of first-degree kidnapping. The charges were not pursued. KDVR, a local news station, has reported that it was because the mother didn't cooperate. But other people involved in the incident have come forward and said that they were never contacted by the DA's office. There's a lot of questions around that at this point in time, but there was a previous incident that A. Anderson Lee Aldrich was involved in. Mm -hmm. You know, this is really interesting. It's something that people have been warning about for months and years, I think, this idea that there's a ratcheting up of rhetoric around LGBT people and that there's sort of a uh, pool of people who might act on it. And after the shooting, we're seeing a lot of pushback from the right saying, oh, no, no, this was a, you know, mentally unwell person. How do you feel about this climate where you do see figures like libs of TikTok pointing out drag events online and this atmosphere of threat. I mean, do you think that contributes to incidents like this? Absolutely. I mean, the concept is stochastic terrorism, right? The idea that um, you don't have to directly like be involved in something, but you prime this atmosphere, you identify this marginalized population or this specific group with demonizing, dehumanizing rhetoric. And of course, you know, mentally unwell individuals who listen to that sort of thing feel compelled to take action. You know, the the right-wing media has been castigating trans people and, and LGBT people broadly as, as groomers, as this kind of existential threat to children, to Western civilization, you know, and, and making these comments that, you know, something needs to be done. Tucker Carlson recently, you know, within the last few months, said something to the effect that people should arm themselves against these drag queens. And, and they are. The 
Proud Boys are coming out to these drag events. You know, a, a donut shop in Tulsa, Oklahoma that had hosted a drag event was, you know, vandalized and somebody threw a Molotov cocktail into the building. And, and it's spilling over to other things. You know, there was an incident recently, a librarian in Idaho, a transgender woman who's just a librarian doing her job, was harassed by this man who, you know, upset about drag queen story hours and and things like that. And it's just, there's absolutely a culpability here. And already we're seeing, you know, elected officials kind of trying to deny and distance themselves from these past statements. The El Paso County Commissioner I mentioned, Stan Vanderwerf, you know, denies that the nine-pack event that he attended, which was this Title IX pack to prevent trans people from competing in sports, was an anti-LGBT event. And, and the event where he appeared alongside Sean Fuchs and Eric Metaxas, who both have a documented history of anti-LGBT activity, you know, was not some kind of anti-LGBT event. It's deflection. And people have been saying for, for years that this kind of rhetoric is going to cause violence. And now that it actually has, they don't want to accept any responsibility or accountability for it. Heidi, you've also done reporting on the sort of uh, the election denial movement in Colorado, which has turned out to be a hotbed for it. You know, you've got Mike Lindell running around. You've got, of course, Tina Peters and Joe Oltman. What's the latest on the these sort of amateur election fraud sleuths in Colorado? So, you know, the litigation is moving forward. I think the last thing I reported on Tina Peters was that she was going to get deposed as part of the Mike Lindell, Eric Coomer defamation suit. So there's a number of those kind of depositions happening. Joe Oltman, you know, his suit, um, they had... He lost the anti, he tried to file an anti-slap motion to get the case dismissed, um, along with all the other defendants, and that was denied, including Eric Metaxas. So, you know, he's just all over the place with all of this stuff. But so that kind of litigation is moving forward right now. Like Joe Oldman's in Arizona trying to organize protests around their kind of election fraud thing. They keep going. It definitely feels like that sort of movement is like running out of steam and and the other shoe in terms of like legal consequences is about to drop. Heidi, there's a really interesting story coming out of Colorado Springs, sort of a, a different arm of this right-wing evangelical narrative where there are a lot of Air Force bases there. And there's this story that there's almost this insular evangelical movement within these bases where cadets are being brought into this movement and that those who are not evangelical are being denied promotions, things like that. I was wondering if that's something on people's radar in Colorado Springs and if that atmosphere bleeds into local politics at all. To an extent, yeah. I mean, Colorado Springs, we're home to focus on the family. We're home to the navigators. We're home to, to New Life Church and all of those. So focus on the family and New Life and those churches are all located in northern Colorado Springs, literally like right across I-25 from the Air Force Academy. And they Air Force Academy has long been involved in kind of religious freedom cases. You know, one of the most recent incidents was one of the Air Force Academy commanders made uh, Yom Kippur a, a mandatory training day, but they've long been involved in kind of activism around military bases and proselytizing to, you know, the cadets and the folks there. And it's a story that 
you know, gets covered extensively. Um, my former colleague at the Colorado Springs Independent, Pam Zubek, has done an excellent job kind of documenting each and every one of these cases, and it continues to to be an issue. So so folks here are definitely aware of it. And it is, it's just part of the political climate, that kind of evangelical block, you know, with, with focus on the family and James Dobson wields, you know, tremendous political power. They have, you know, the Family Research Council and Alliance Defending Freedom and all these different kind of sub-entities that are able to wield influence. And it's a real part of the kind of political landscape down here. And all of, you know, our local elected officials are very deferential to a lot of these groups. And within the last, I would say, you know, 10 to 20 years, we've seen the rise of Andrew Womack in neighboring Teller County. He runs Cheris Bible College and Womack Ministries, and he's also a part of the Truth and Liberty Coalition, which is a 501c4, and it's kind of like the political action branch of his sort of ministry. And it brings together like all these different influencers, um, everyone from like anti kind of Muslim extremists to, you know, evangelical folks to guys like Lance Wallnow and, and David Barton, who I mentioned earlier, these kind of seven mountain mandate dominionists and new apostolic reformation people. And that's kind of you know, as the, as the influence of focus on the family has maybe waned, you know, Womack has really picked up that slack. And at the Truth and Liberty Summit this year, a couple months ago in Teller County, you know, Representative Doug Lamborn spoke with a pre-recorded message. Representative Lauren Boebert appeared there, and you had like Lance Wallnow and Metaxas and Mario Murillo and all these other figures who talking to all the other points that, you know, evangelicals talk about, but also really emphasizing kind of the anti-LGBT stance and the opposition to like wokeism and things like that. So it's, it's just a pervasive element here in Colorado Springs. Outside of you know, the Air Force Academy, I'm not like the other bases are, are just regular, you know, um, military installations. So the degree to which those groups are proselytizing on like Shriver Air Force Base or Peterson Space Force Base, I'm sorry, uh, or Peterson, I can't really speak to that. But I, I can confirm, you know, the Air Force Academy has long been one of those places where that takes place. Heidi, the last question I had for you, it's something you've been tweeting and you, you're a former teacher and some of your former students have been directly impacted in this Club Q attack. And I just wanted to ask you, you know, how are you as a reporter um, with ties to this? How are you doing? How are you covering this? What does it mean to be a reporter who is so close to something this tragic? It's been really hard. I don't even know what to say, to be quite honest. It's just you know, work is is one way to kind of cope with things. And I just, you know, throw myself into reporting. I, you know, I got the news of the shooting at 5 a.m. on Sunday morning. My wife woke me up and she was like, you know, there's been a shooting. And I, I have a former student who is, you know, active at Club Q and is a performer there. And, you know, the first thing I did was check his, you know, Facebook page and see if he was okay. And, you know, he, he had checked in there. But, you know, after that, I, I went directly to the, you know, the CSPD press conference on Sunday morning. And then from there, you know, I came back and I wrote a story. And then I went to the, um, you know, the vigil that was held Sunday afternoon at All Souls Universal Unitarian Church, you know, was, was there with the community and just witnessing this outpouring of grief. And it it's one thing to be kind of you know, objective. And, and, you know, I I feel like I did a pretty good job of like holding it together during the service. But once I got out there and was just mingling with, you know, the people and I found my student, he was, he was there. And I just, 
embraced him and and it, it's you know it, it was so difficult and you know he was kind of telling me his traumatic version of what happened there and 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 it's just it's awful and then you know once they released the names of the victims who were killed in the shooting you know one of them was again another um sand creek student and i i wasn't you know close to him but i remember him i remember seeing him in the school i remember you know other teachers talking about him and you know he was kind of an athlete and very well respected very well liked kid he was he was a good kid and it's heartbreaking to see this happen and it's not just you know the LGBT community here in Colorado Springs, it's all kinds of different people that have been impacted by this this horrible event. And it's it's hard, you know, and, and this is the second mass shooting that I've covered here in Colorado Springs. And it's just it's awful. I feel so bad. People ask me about this and I, I, I don't know what to say. I, I did a BBC World interview and they, they were asking me about it. And I just it's it's just so awful and traumatizing and devastating and senseless. And it's just there's this overwhelming feeling of grief and sadness and anger over, you know, what has happened here. And it's awful. Well, Heidi, thank you so much for being there and for reporting this. It's uh, It really just makes the world of difference being able to read your coverage. And we're very appreciative of it. Thank you. Okay. Heidi, thanks for joining us. Okay, we return once again to fresh hell. Kelly, what do you have for us this week? All right, I have another piece of masterpiece cinema for you. Uh, Maybe you'll sit down and watch this with your family over the long weekend. We are talking about bounty hunter Stu Peters. He's back with the film died suddenly this is his latest attempt to uh, you know land a punch on the covid vaccines he missed last time when he was associated with the documentary watch the water that was of course the documentary that claimed there was uh, snake venom in the vaccines and it was turning people into satan but this time he is compiling a whole bunch of news clippings of people who've died over the past few years they died suddenly must be vaccines now Well, to me, this is sort of a natural outcome of this trend we see on Twitter all the time. Somebody dies, their relatives put out a statement mourning them, and the replies are just flooded with absolute ghouls who are saying the person died because they were vaccinated. Or they'll go through and they'll find an obituary for a dead person and say, oh, this is suspicious. They didn't include enough detail about how this person died. Must be the vaccines. So, you know, we're finally getting this in feature length form. That's exactly right. This phrase died suddenly, even before this documentary, you know, which I, a term I use lightly here. This is sort of a meme on the right, because like whenever someone quote dies suddenly um they'll they'll say hmm it's the vaccine that killed them now you know how many millions billions of people received the vaccines and yes you know i mean this the sad fact is that uh you know yes people do sometimes die and people don't realize they're sick young people die and now but now the implication is that it's always the vaccine when someone dies or even collapses sometimes you know they don't even necessarily die and this is trending in a in a, in a big way on twitter right now where, where you know by, by the way the you know it, it kind of the the usual rules have, have have been lifted by elon musk and so this stuff can can really blow up what is really the argument of this movie Oh, okay. This is a banger. So uh, full disclosure, I've not watched the entire movie end to end, but you know, you get the flavor of it. 
One of their star witnesses is a uh, a Canadian embalmer. I should say the embalmers play like a huge role in this. Like, you know, they're done getting the, the quack doctors. Now we're just going straight to the embalmers. This is Deadwood. Right. Yeah. I mean, these aren't even. Yeah. These aren't even doctors. These aren't people who perform autopsies. These are the people who like, you know, do the duty of getting folks ready for a funeral. And these embalmers are saying oh, the blood is weird in these dead people. It's like I'm going to need to see a bit more credentials than, you know, uh, uh, Foster's Funeral Home on this. <laughs> I mean, this is a pretty gross movie. I have to say, I haven't watched it. I mean, they, it, a lot of it is just embalmers goofing around with bodies and saying, like, I pulled this gross-looking blood clot out. I pulled this <sighs> gross-looking thing. This is gross. And it's like, yeah. It's because they're dead. Yeah, it's a body. And you're pulling things out of the body and you're saying, this is gross. This is messed up looking. That's their argument is that there has been this this kind of mass die off. Now, I think like what is the wish fulfillment behind this movie? I think that this gets at kind of a point that the anti-vax crowd was making for a while, which is that they wanted, you know, I think it's kind of a human emotion. But, but there was a lot of, I think, internal desire to see vaccinated people kind of pay for getting the vaccine. And, and you know, there was a sense that like these people are out to ruin our lives. They don't want us flying on planes. They don't want us to have jobs. But aren't we going to be laughing when when suddenly everyone dies? And then that hasn't really happened. And so you have to kind of like manufacture these tales and you have to say, well, look in the blood. Oh, everyone's dying. I, I, I did want to highlight one character in this movie. I mean, w- whenever you watch these movies, it's funny to look up the backstories of like the protagonists and the, the experts <laughs> because it's always like, whoa, that is really, really crazy. I mean, in the case of Stu Peters, memorably, um, you know, this movie's called Died Suddenly. Stu was arrested suddenly after allegedly assaulting his wife a few months ago, uh, although he ultimately pleaded down. The non-embalmer main character is a guy named Steve Kirsch, who's like like an old, like, 90s uh, dot-com millionaire who gets very passionate about this idea that the the vaccines are killing people. Then you kind of, like, dig a little into old Steve's background, which helpully they showed a screenshot of an article about him, and so I looked it up. And in this article, it turns out that Steve had invested in a a sort of non-vaccine solution to COVID, which is something called like flavamoxamine or something. And then when the vaccines took off, he, he got really into hydroxychloroquine. And when the, when the vaccines took off, he, he decided to become like, oh, no, don't do the vaccines. Now, kind of seems like this guy has at least potentially a monetary interest and certainly at least sort of a interest to be like the hero uh, of the pandemic. So much so that the, the other people who were investing with him and giving these grants were like, whoa, this guy's gone nuts. Cut to this movie where... Steve is harassing sort of one of these people who approve vaccines so much that she calls the cops. And so we see the body cam footage and the cops say, <sighs> OK, so like, what's your deal? And he's like, I'm a journalist. I'm a journalist. And they're like, OK, what are you a journalist for? And he's like, I'm a journalist for Substack. I was like, well, that's not really, you know, you're kind of tricking the, the cops here who aren't up on like the latest maneuverings in the media industry. That's <laughs> I'm a journalist for WordPress. I'm a journalist for Tumblr. Yeah, I'm a journalist for Twitter. Yeah, I mean, like the, the a, a little deceptive there. Absolutely. Oh, well, well, speaking of deceptive, one of my favorite um, parts from this is you mentioned they don't even point to people who've died. They point to people who've collapsed. And they have a clip of a uh, Florida Gators player collapsing in the court in December 2020. And I think the strong implication is that he died suddenly. And so many things are going on here. One, he didn't die. Two, vaccines were not 
available for him at the time. And apparently he's still unvaccinated and he's doing great, by the way. That's not an endorsement of being unvaccinated, but his game is, you know, he's still balling. So it's um, it's they are very literally manufacturing these incidents for any anything that they can use to prop up this idea that, you know, there, there's a mass die off, a genocide going on. And don't worry, the, the died suddenly Twitter account was indeed able to pay for a verified check. I just saw uh, on Twitter, you know, there is just a real appetite out there for these kind of like anti-vaccine videos. I mean, essentially this one, the larger argument, which is not quite stated, but it, but is essentially that the cabal, Bill Gates, the World Economic Forum, they, they just want to kill off a massive amount of the world population with the vaccines. That's where it, what it's all up to. But, but, you know, Kelly, as you point out, Stu previously had a documentary that said it was all about getting Satan's serpent DNA in our bodies. What is it? Is, is one Moderna, one Fi- like the Pfizer's, the snake venom? Like, what, what's the deal? They're going to kill half of the people and turn the rest of them into Satan. And that should really solve a lot of their problems. <laughs> On that note, let's wrap up this episode of Fever Dreams from The Daily Beast. In future installments, we'll also be speaking to some amazing guests at The Daily Beast and beyond, from politics to popular culture. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your preferred podcast app and share the show on social media and at your family dinner table. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Will Summer, and Kelly is at Kelly Weil. That's W-E-I-L-L. Come say hi. This podcast is produced by Jesse Cannon with music by Brian DeMeglio. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.